You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Giant Splash. I'm John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle and Susan Slesser and I engaged in some casual conversation with the retired Henry Shulman, the longtime Giants beat writer and our good friend who was kind enough to join us to discuss the 2021 Giants, his remarkable career covering the team and some great stories during his journey. Well, this is cool. I'm with Susan Slesser and also, Henry Shulman. It's just like old times here. It's 2020. Uh, what a delight this is. Uh, what a podcast. What a world. But we're all here. Henry, who recently retired from the Chronicle after covering the Giants since 1988. And Susan covering the Giants a little less than that. But uh, shoot, Susan's been covering the uh, whole bunch of Giant games over the last 20 plus years and is very familiar with a bunch of people with the team on and off the field. And it's great. Susan, you've moved over to the Giants. I'm loving it. But anyway, enough of this. Uh, Henry, how are you doing? I am so calm and relaxed. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're recording this right after the first uh, workout of spring training. And um, I did, I have to admit, I did look at some of the Zooms, of uh, the interviews and the B-roll from, uh, you know, the, the video of the, and, uh, of the first workout. And I can't tell you the relief it is to be able to watch that and listen to it and realize I can shut my computer off and not have to write. I went out and took a walk by the bay instead. It's very relaxing. It's, uh, you know, I recommend this retirement thing if you can. And here we are dragging you right back in with a podcast. No problem. I promised you I would do this. You have it. Uh, you have 11 minutes left uh, now, 10 minutes, 45 seconds. So no, I'm just however, whatever you want to do. Okay. If you could whatever just impart all of your giants wisdom and knowledge to me right now. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already had a couple of scoops that I might not have gotten. Uh, so congratulations on that. Um, like I told people, Susan knows everybody in baseball. She just, there isn't a person mm -hmm. she doesn't know. And you know, I, I have to admit, you know, I, one of the things about being a reporter is you, you, you really do want to try and get to know as many people as you can. And I didn't always have the patience for that. Um, you know, I, I always felt like I needed to kind of move along. And I mean, I thought I was a pretty good reporter and I thought I had a pretty good Rolodex, but, you know, Susan's could crush mine. Mm -hmm. Then I'll explain. Well, what do you miss? What, what do you miss, Henry? It, it, you know, you're talking about the first day at camp. And usually by now you would have rented a car driven to the desert, gone shopping, packed the fridge, move into your condo, and game time. But now, not so much. Well, uh, yeah, the only thing you missed was uh, calling the property manager and letting her know about the 11 things wrong with the condo that I, <laughs> I rented. Uh, I haven't really missed anything yet. Um, I told somebody, you know, people asking me about what it's like to not go to spring training. And um, it, it's, it's just a little different because nobody's down in spring training yet, reporter-wise, and not until this weekend, I think. And uh, a person who I was texting with earlier today 
um, I told I told them that I'll probably miss it starting when all the other scribes are down there, Susan and Carrie and uh, Maria and, uh, you know, Amy G and whoever's down there. And they start tweeting photos and videos. Um, and I think that's when I'll miss it because that's when, uh, you know, that's when you realize that you're missing the camaraderie, which is kind of one of the more fun things about spring training. Let me protect you. You, you forgot to mention Alex and Andy. Uh, yeah, Alex and Andy, whatever. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they're going to be down there. But with the Zoom, no. the Zoom world being what it is, I think yeah. it's going to be. Yeah, I've already, I've, I've already forgotten who's on the beat after like, you know, I don't know, one month of retirement. I've already forgotten who I used to work with. Wait, did the did the whole Zoom era drive you into retirement, Henry? Was uh... it didn't? You know what? Don't laugh. Um, I mean, it wasn't the reason that I did it, but it certainly, you know, was like if I had thought about, hey, maybe I'd like to do this another year. Um, you know, I, it, I mean. If I had been on the fence, that the Zoom interviews and stuff would have definitely been something that teetered me over to the retirement side because it's really not fun. The days are longer, um, and you know it's going to be tough for not, uh, you guys not getting to go into the clubhouse. I mean, that's what spring training is all about. Spring training is when you go into the clubhouse and you can sit down with a player for half an hour and just shoot the breeze without your notepad out. Just get to know them; they get to know you, and that sort of sets the stage for the season, especially with the new players. And you guys have so many of them. The Giants have so many of them. Yeah. Well, it's weird the, for me because, as you know, the only guy on the 40-man roster I, I even know a little bit is Listella, And I only know Listella from a Zoom's calls last yeah, year. Yeah, well, so. I mean, I just heard he's a big jerk, so I don't think you want to know me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I think, yeah. solid citizen. Yeah. Baseball is about intimacy and access for reporters. It is. It is. That leads to wonderful storytelling, more so than in football and perhaps even basketball. That's the beauty of it. The access for the last hundred years is what baseball writers have been able to take advantage of. And now we're at the mercy of of who is provided and when. Right. So we can, you know, discuss things on Zoom. And I imagine there will be some one on one. So things would be a little different, but it is odd. It's not what we how we got into the business and why we got into the business, you know, but and, I and imagine for, it, it, yeah. it's got to be better eventually. And for, it's better for the reader too. It's better for the folks listening to this podcast. who like to read because uh, you get more in depth just when you sit down and get to know people and, and the camera is not on them. And even if, if the camera is a cell phone on a zoom, it's still like having a camera in front of you and you're not going to be as honest necessarily and as forthcoming. And, you know, one of my favorite, stories that I like to tell about spring training was Scott Ayer, who was a left-handed pitcher. And, uh, you know, I sat down next to him at the Scottsdale Stadium Clubhouse one spring training just to do a stupid, boring story on the Giants' left-handed relief. And uh, I just sat down next to him and uh, he said something like, hold on, I got to take my pill. And he took a pill. I asked him what it was. And it was an HDHD, uh, attention deficit disorder pill. And he told me he was diagnosed with it and um, that when he was in Toronto the year before, two years before, uh, you know, he was terrible. He had an ERA of six and he got, di- he got diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and, uh, you know, once he started taking the medication, he became a really good pitcher. And this was before 200 people suddenly became ADHD because it became a therapeutic use exemption for um, amphetamines. Uh, this was, nobody had heard about it in baseball back then. And that turned into my feature. And uh, I mean, that's the kind of cool thing you can do when you sit down and can just chat with people for a while. 
Yeah, that's really the only way to get to know people is chit-chatting with them at least right. a little bit. And you can't do that on a Zoom call. It's, you know, they, they don't have time to chit-chat with 14 different people. Um, no, so, no. Yeah, no. It's, uh, it's problematic. And let's face it, you're also doing other reporters work for them when you're sitting there on a Zoom and you're asking all the good questions and, uh, you know, they're, they're benefiting from it. There's a little bit of a competitive aspect to it. Um, I mean, I hope that you guys do have an opportunity to do some one-on-ones, uh, whether it's on Zoom or, or even better, if they can do something distanced, uh, like we did a few times last spring where, you know, you might be sitting six feet, 10 feet away, but can still talk to them. Yeah, I think well, that, Henry, that's you mentioned the, 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 the Scott Air story. What, what might have been a couple of your favorite over the years? I mean, you've started covering ball, you know, 1988, uh, partners back then, but it, and if you remember any, what set them apart, the writing aspect or the research or the, the storytelling, the investigative work, the relationship, uh, you know, how you built that story. I mean, you, you covered three world series championship teams, all the all-star games. I know how much you love the winter meetings, but, um, I mean, you, you spent five years of your life in Scottsdale probably as well. But I mean, you, you've covered everything. So is, does anything stand out? Um, I think the two that stand out were the uh, features I did on Bruce Bochy and Felipe Alou when they were hired as Giants manager. Uh, those were, it was a rare opportunity to do a real long form feature. And uh, in 2003, the Chronicle, Glenn Schwartz sent me uh, down to Florida when Alou was hired. Uh, he said, and I spent a couple of days with Felipe in Florida and I got to really learn who the man was and how he lived. And, um, and then I, you know, I got to interview seven, eight other people for the story, including his daughter, one of his, his oldest daughter down there and um, ended up writing a, you know, a, you know, I don't know. I think it was probably something like um, 4,000 words. Um, and then I did the same with Bruce Bochy. Now I didn't go down to San Diego after he was, he was hired. We couldn't, um, swing that, but I ended up spending three hours with him, uh, interviewing him in a bar in Scottsdale. Um, you know, the one that, even better, the, the one in, uh, you know, the Scott, the, in the, uh, park behind the, uh, the ballpark there, the little, the little bar we used to, I can't even remember the name of it. You're near AZ 88. Oh, the old town tavern. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, maybe the old town ta Gary's old town tavern. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I interviewed a lot of other people with that and ended up writing. Actually, the funny thing about the Bochi story was um, a lot of the people I interviewed made fun of his head. And I didn't I knew he had a big head um, as somebody with a big head myself. Um, I didn't think it was that unusual. Um, but, you know, I went I went down and interviewed, uh, you know, some some of his former players. And they, you know, Trevor Hoffman was joking about his head. And I decided to take a chance. I wrote, I wrote my whole lead about how big his head was. And I'm talking about maybe 500 words on how big his head was, you know, one word for every inch of his head. And um, I was interviewing Mrs. Bochy, uh, Kim, in the stands at Scottsdale Stadium. And it was the first time I met her. And I said, you got to do me a favor here, Kim. This is what I plan to write. This is how I plan to start my Bruce Bochy story uh, on your husband. And it's making fun of his head. And you have to tell me if he will be okay with it, because if he's not, I'm going to start this long relationship with a new manager already having him hating me. And she laughed. She said, he'll think it's funny. And he did. And uh, you can still Google. I mean, the story is still up, you know, on the, you can find it, uh, you know, just Google. Uh, uh, it, the, <laughs> the headline was Bruce Bochy, the new head man. And I think you can Google that and you'll find the story. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Henry, I, how, much, how much do you feel like you're going to pay attention this year since you don't really have to? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's like I said, you know, I, I, I felt like I wanted to hear the uh, Gabe Kapler Zoom today. You know, the Giants provide it to us in an email. We can link, link it and see it. I, you know, I, I don't want to get on the Zooms while they're happening because I, you know, that'd be a little weird. But I, I, I really kind of felt compelled to listen today. And, uh, you know, I still have to listen to uh, some of the other ones today. Uh, you know, Cueto and uh, Posey, uh, I guess McGee talked as well. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, that just might be a first day sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know how involved I'll be. I'll watch the games uh, when I can. I, I wouldn't stay home just to watch a game. Uh, but I am interested in what happens to the team. I mean, um, this is sort of like year, this is year, what, year three of the Zaidi era and year two of the Kapler era. And, you know, I, I, I helped tell a story for all, all those years. And you want to see how the story ends, even if you're not going to be the daily uh, chronicler. So what do you uh, think of the, the team for this year then, having been paying, continuing to pay attention? I, I think they made some good moves. I mean, look, this is a team that, you know, is going to struggle to compete in a division with the Dodgers and Padres the way they are constituted right now. Uh, and I mean, it's going to be hard for them. Uh, I think they're better than the team that finished one game under 500 last year. Um, and I think that they really should have a winning record this year. Uh, this is sort of, um, you know, uh, I mean, this is sort of the year like in golf, it, you know, Scott Osler put it this way. Uh, he said, this is sort of like moving day in golf on a Saturday. I mean, this is the year where you start to see maybe some of the prospects coming up and seeing if they can really make an impact. The, the prospects they've been kind of developing the last couple of years, like Ramos and Shelley um, and, uh, you know, uh, Canario, he, who's hurt now, but some of, some of the other guys, um, you know, uh, some of these relievers that they're really high on who throw gas, um, like, uh, Nunez, for example, who I understood through a, a pen today. Um, and uh, I think they'll be better. You know, I don't think they'll be a playoff team necessarily with only five teams from the National League, but I wouldn't put it past them to sneak in. I think that, um, I mean, Lestella doesn't, is not a sexy name, but he is a really good player. I mean, he's a really good player. And they've been really good about picking up starting pitchers uh, who, uh, are kind of coming off down years or down a couple of years and, um, you know, and they end up pitching great. And uh, I mean, I think they'll be okay. I think the bullpen is good. Um, you know, Yastrzemski is going to have his first full season after his good rookie season. Um, I don't think they'll have trouble scoring runs. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't make predictions, but I, I'd be surprised if they don't have a winning record. So it sounds like you read Susan's five questions leading into spring training. <laughs> did you did you miss not doing the five questions for the five hundredth year in a row? Uh, um, yeah, a little bit because uh, the hardest part about doing the five questions is narrowing it down to five. Uh, there's usually ten that you could write, um, and uh, it, that was always a fun assignment because I didn't really have to interview anybody for it. I could just do it off the top of my head, and it didn't involve a lot of work. And you just answered them all. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's my problem, Henry, is I'm still to the point where I have to look everything up like two or three times just to make sure. I know. So. I know. It's, it's tough. It's like, you know, I mean, they send us in the winter or sent us, I, I keep talking in present tense, but you know, they, they would send us to a college basketball game and like Stanford or uh, I used to, I did a bunch of Stanford games because I live not far from the campus there. And uh, I didn't know anything about 
the, the Stanford, much less the opponents. And you have to study and it's nerve wracking. It really is. But I mean, you know, you'll, you'll get the hang of it, kiddo. <laughs> well, Stanford basketball, that's a pretty premier assignment, Henry. So that's... Hey, host, don't you need to go to a commercial break? Just for the record, we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, countless people have read you over the years and have enjoyed enjoyed what you've done, all the work, uh, your accomplishments. And they might want to know if they're going to see you and your written word in another forum in the future. It's funny you mention that because uh, I used to write a blog called San Francisco Ball Scribe, and it was just something that it was a whimsy. It was anything that kind of crossed my mind. It had nothing to do with baseball. And um, I really I hadn't written anything in two months, really. Uh, I mean, in mid-December, I stopped working because I had to deal with some personal stuff. And then January 4th was the official retirement. And uh, I kind of been, you know, kind of itching to write something and something came to mind. And uh, I... Um, I actually posted something today for the first time. Uh, it's a rather personal thing. It's not something that I'm going to be writing about uh, a lot about. But yeah, I'm going to be writing a lot of stuff that really has nothing to do with baseball, just when it catches my fancy. And if you want to <clears throat> Google San Francisco ball scribe, which is two words, um, you can see it and you can even go back and read some of the stuff. I mean, it goes back all the way to 2010 um, if, if people want to. Oh, that's fascinating. So and that, I do plan, cool. right. And I do plan to, you know, I do plan to work as a freelance writer, uh, sports and otherwise. I don't, uh, you know, after a, after a rest time. I mean, I'm not kind of ready to do that yet. Well, I've, I've got to, I've got to say my all-time favorite story that I've read uh, from Henry over the years because <laughs> it blows me away. It was 2002 spring training. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, Henry, but um, are you going onto a truck? Yeah. Remember Jeff Kent broke his yeah, wrist and yeah. Kent told the media that he fell off his truck while washing it. And, the, mm -hmm. and you were not convinced. So you hopped down over to the city of Scottsdale uh, and, uh, and got a hold of a couple of 911 recordings yep. from people who said they actually saw someone popping a wheelie down there on Hayden Road and taking a fall. And uh, well, the Giants were ticked off and Kent was ticked off at you. Um, they won the pennant anyway, despite, uh, despite that story. <laughs> but, uh, do you remember that? I mean, that, that just, I, I just love that story. Just, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's typical Henry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that was sort of the news reporter in me and, and really nobody, I, mean, I, I can't say I was the only person who didn't believe Jeff's story. And there had been rumblings of a motorcycle, you know, some sort of motorcycle accident. I, in fact, I think somebody might've been Bob Nightingale, even like said it in a well twitter didn't exist back then but he might have said it in a bottom of a story that nobody really believes that and i've got 911 tapes and uh the police report and actually the key piece of evidence 
uh, linking it to the Giants was that the witness to the accident saw the motor motorcycle being loaded into an Econoline van, a white Econoline van. They had the license number, and it was the same license number of the truck that was sitting outside Scottsdale Stadium that the Giants used to transport players over to uh, Indian School uh, Park for some of the workouts. And, you know, I had to interview Jeff. Uh, you know, I stayed back from wherever they were playing that day, and uh, he was mad at me for a long, long time. And I mean, I, he was mad at me for three years, even after he left the Giants. And, you know, when he finally, when he finally uh, stopped being mad at me was uh, I was covering the NLCS in Houston. I think it was 2005 and he had a walk-off homer and I waited him out after all the other interviews. And, uh, you know, he gave me a long interview and we sort of patched things up after that. I Never have a truck related question for you because my favorite Henry <laughs> Shulman question. spring training truck story is you crashing your rental car into a cement mixer somehow. Yes, I did that. Yes. That's my favorite Henry truck story. You know, yeah, a cement mixer. yeah, that was, um, it wasn't my fault. Uh, I didn't see him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's the truth. So yeah, I was driving to the new ballpark. It was then new in Glendale. And I was driving down Camelback. It was a game against the Dodgers or the White Sox. And there was a misleading road sign. One of those, you know, uh, signs they wheel out onto the road. And, uh, you know, it, what it meant to say was use two right lanes to turn in. But it didn't say that. It said use two lanes. And the right turn lane hadn't appeared yet. So I thought I was okay to make a right turn from the lane I was in. And it wasn't. And I just turned right. I was going like, you know, 25 miles an hour. And I did not see this cement mixer uh, coming up in the lane to my right and behind me. And I smashed into it and I destroyed the rental car and believe it or not, did enough damage to the cement mixer so that, um, that I would, uh, so my insurance, the insurance had to pay like five grand or something like that. Uh, Cause I hit it like right where a fuel tank was. It's a good thing I didn't blow up. Oh um, my God. And, and so, and, and after all that, they, they gave me a ticket. And um, the best part of that story is that uh, I was going to fight the ticket because the sign really was misleading. I went back there. I took all sorts of photos. I took video of the, you know, the street and the, the signs. I was like uh, Arlo Guthrie and Alice's restaurant, you know, all those eight by 10 pictures with the circles and arrows on the back of each one showing what each one was. And, and I, I, I had a court date in, in, in Arizona. They gave you a quick court date if you didn't live there. I showed up one morning in my suit and tie. I had a satchel. I was going to get up there and I was going to beat this ticket. And I sit down, they call me and the, the judge, um, before I could say a word, the judge said uh, that she was mad at the, at the district attorney because he didn't provide her the information on the case. The cops were there ready to convict me. Um, and she just banged her gavel and said, case dismissed. And I was a little disappointed because I wanted to do the Clarence Darrow thing. I even asked to ask her, <laughs> wait, wait, you don't want to hear my, no, she said, get out of here. But your but, honor, you know, I, exhibit A. Yes. But um, <laughs> I, I hit a cement mixer and it wasn't my fault legally. <laughs> I'm not do. sure if I'm buying that. I'm, I'm not convinced. I want to check the 911 tapes. Yeah, <laughs> find the police report. <laughs> hey, uh, Henry, are, are you kind of fascinated by this Posey Belt Crawford dynamic with all three of those guys you've covered since day one, possibly playing their final games in 2021 with this team? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think it's going to the way I think that's going to shake out is I, I don't think they're going to be the starting players necessarily every day, uh, you know, for the whole year. I think that, you know, some of them may be phased back and 
it, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting because, you know, it, it would be one thing if we were like one or two years removed from the last title, but we're, you know, we're seven years removed from the last title. And um, I think the fans are ready for it, to be honest with you. I think um, you know, they love Crawford. They love belt. They love, um, you know, uh, uh, who's the other one? Oh, Posey. Buster. <laughs> Buster, that's right. Um, and they, they love them, but I think the fans are ready for the next belt Posey and Crawford and uh, Sergio Romo and who's going to be back in the Bay. Um, and uh, it'll be, you know, Susan's going to have to write all these heartfelt tearjerker stories at the end of the year. Um, and uh, they'll all get a big ovation. It'd be nice if the Giants held separate days for all of them. Um, but I think by that time, it, 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 like it won't be as emotional as it would have been like in 2016 or 2015 or something like that. Henry, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of response from readers since your announcement. What, uh, anything particularly jump out at you? Did you get any particularly nice letters or emails or anything? Yeah, when I first announced it back in December, I was uh, inundated. I mean, hundreds of tweets and texts and emails. And I mean, I look, I'm not, you know, I can't downplay the fact that when a person who's covered the beat for so long leaves, it, it's going to pique people's interest. But I was just surprised. And the thing, the thing I, that always got me was, um, you know, how many people who said that um, they taught their children to read by reading my stories at the, or, you know, the day didn't start until, you know, they sat down at the dinner table or the breakfast table rather and read my stories. And some people even said that they grew up reading my stories um, at, at the breakfast table. And then a generation later, they taught their kids how to read by, um, reading my stories and you know that wow. that hit home that hit you are home. old yes that exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the takeaway susan i'm old um alex pavlovich by the way saying on twitter today that seeing like players born in 2000 made him feel old i wanted to fly down to wherever he is and kill him but um <laughs> but yeah that i mean that really hit home because you know what we you know what, what do we do we we write about sports and you know, I've always been surprised at how meaningful what I wrote and what you guys write is to people uh, because of how sports is meaningful to people and giants are meaningful to people. But that is really a different level of meaningful because it means family bonding. It means, you know, teaching kids how to read and all that. And those were the letters that, you know, I probably uh, savored the most. The, uh, well, here's another. Yeah, I have another. Um, I saw on Twitter from, from somebody, everybody here, uh, respects to a high degree. Derek Gould from St. Louis. He writes on Twitter, when I started on this beat, a wise baseball writer told me that some of the best ball writers fit their cities, their style, how they tell a story, the stories they seek, the whimsy of their leads, all in harmony with their town. Reed Shulman, he said. Yeah, you I was set the, a great example. Yeah, I was the one who told him that. Um, I told him to read me. No, um, I'm hoping and I'm hoping that was Rick Hummel who told him that because, you know, Rick's the guy I respect, a Hall of Fame baseball writer from St. Louis. And yeah, you know, that that one really did hit home too. all the notes I got from, um, you know, people in the business, including some I didn't think liked me very much. Um, that that really meant a lot to me. And I had never really thought about what Derek wrote about a person fitting a city. It, it is kind of odd since I'm not from San Francisco, but I feel like a San Franciscan. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that one, that one was special. All the, all the notes I got from uh, fellow beat writers, uh, even some beat writers who said that they, 
Uh, I mean, guys I respect, women I respect, who um, told me that they hope to pattern themselves after me. Oh, Carrie Crowley is one of them from the San Jose Mercury News on the Giants beat. Yeah. He sent me a note saying basically that, that, you know, he'd grown up reading us and that you're the guy he's always emulated. And, and Yeah, he's just that, a little so. pipsqueak. What is he, 14? <laughs> yeah, but in a few more years, kid. A few more years, uh, kid. The, uh, one of the questions uh, I know fans and readers always ask me, I'm sure you get this a lot too. So I'm, I'm wondering uh, as you kind of go out, who have been your favorite players, figures in the game to cover over the, the many years? Okay. When you say go out, please, you know, kind of explain <laughs> you're talking about going out as a baseball writer. Um, I just don't want people to like come in right in the middle of this podcast and, you know, think the worst. Um there have been so, so many, but Rod Beck is, comes to mind. I mean, he, he was a guy I could have pops with in the hotel bar after the game and shoot the breeze. He could be, he could be really mad at me about something I wrote, like he was a couple of times and later that night, buy me a beer uh, in the clubhouse. Um, and uh, I mean, there were, there were some from that 2002 team, that, that era, 2000 to 2002, uh, that I really, really liked and, you know, still do and respect. Uh, Ellis Burks was one, Reggie Sanders um, and, uh, let's see, Rich Aurelia, guys like that. Um, and I mean, they, they were some of my favorite and, and you know what, uh, you didn't ask me about managers, but you know, look at who, look at the managers that I covered in my 30 something years, Roger Craig, um, Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, Bruce Bochy, and to some extent, Tony LaRussa. Uh, one of those is not like the others, uh, but it was a great, you know, Tony was, it was an education too. And I got to learn so much from some of the greatest minds in the game. Um, you know, I mean, Roger's never going to be in the hall of fame, but uh, you know, Dusty certainly could be as a manager. Bochi certainly could be as a manager. Alou certainly could be, you know, for his career, although I, I doubt he will be. And, and uh, I enjoyed covering, I enjoyed covering all of those guys. Um, and, you know, from the current, from the current team, um, you know, it, it, it was, it, look, Brandon Belt was a fun guy to cover because he's just so goofy. I mean, no matter uh, how goofy I could be sometimes, I was never the goofiest guy in the room. Um, so I enjoyed that. Uh, loved learning stuff from Ron Wotus um, in there. Um, you know, uh, Matt Morris is a guy I you know, never talk about, but I enjoyed covering him over the years because he was a great guy just to talk to. Anybody I could just talk to outside, you know, one guy, only only one year. I loved the one year we had Randy Johnson. I mean, I'd just sit down for an hour and he would talk your head off about anything and everything that had nothing to do with baseball. And uh, there's another one. Wow. I remember uh, Randy Johnson's first press conference in Scottsdale we asked him a question. He talked for 25 minutes. We asked him another question. He talked for 25 minutes and then we had nothing else. Cause he answered our 20 yeah. different questions in two answers. And he got all over us because we only had two questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this press conference in DC after he won his 300th game, he, he won his 300th game in the first game of a doubleheader. The second game was the makeup from the rain out before the night before. And he, it took him an hour to get in there. And, uh, and then it was the same thing, you know, four questions. It took an hour and a half. And none of us saw the second game. So <laughs> it wasn't important. So you had an on and off relationship with Barry Bonds. Could you discuss that? And 
Um, what was it like covering, you know, I was there with you, but I'd love to hear your story of, um, you know, the chase, uh, you, you covered him in the, in the nineties when he showed up from Pittsburgh and was a five tool guy, except for maybe the throwing. And then he turned into Ted Williams and broke all these records uh, on your watch. It was a complicated relationship. It was never cordial. Um, it was always adversarial. That's true with most writers, but you have to remember I was the beat writer when um, Lance Williams and Mark Fainer-Uwata were uncovering stories every day about his, his drug use, uh, his, steroid use, the whole Balco thing. I mean, they were the Woodward and Bernstein of that story. And they made a decision and the paper made a decision that those guys would never go into the clubhouse. They would do all of their work away from bonds. Uh, and that, you know, whenever they needed bonds uh, comment for one of their stories, you know, it'd be, I'd get a phone call. My, my phone would ring and it would be uh, Mark's number, Fainru's extension at the Chronicle. And I'd already start shaking. And, you know, I'd pick up the phone and he'd go, hi, Henry, uh, we're reporting tomorrow that uh, Barry Bonds uh, injected a Volkswagen into his butt. We need you to get his comment. Uh, and then I had to do it the next day. And so I was the face of all the coverage. And, and that just didn't work very well. And, and the good thing was the good thing about covering Barry was there were so many times that he would so much he wouldn't talk to me so many times he wouldn't talk to me. He just shut me out. And, uh, you know, and he talked to other reporters and it really taught me that you don't really need any single person to do your job. You don't have to like people talk about that, that, that beat writers are access journalism, that we somehow skew our stories not to agitate players uh, because we'd lose our access. And one of the things that bonds, my relationship with bonds kind of drove home is I don't need to talk to anybody. I can write what I want to write. And if no, if people don't want to talk to me, they don't have to talk to me. I'm going to write it anyway. Well, cool. Uh, Henry, man, you've had an amazing career, an amazing run. You're, you're an amazing dude. And uh, thanks for everything that you've done for me. Uh, I'll never forget it. And I'll always appreciate it. It's the same. Yeah, you've been a tremendous teammate, Henry. I mean, yeah. absolutely just the best of the best. I can, really I, can I say a quick it. word here? To yeah. about another very special baseball writer um, and TV person who we just lost and we all know very well, Pedro Gomez. Oh, man. Um, I think all of us probably want to say a little something about Pedro. He was on the A's for a number of years before he went to Arizona and then went national with ESPN. But um, we lost Pedro last week and it was a, a blow to the industry and, and a blow to all of us personally. So yeah, they're, 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 it's just, you know, you know somebody for that long, 30 years. And when you can honestly say, I mean, 100% say you never heard anyone tell a story about him that put him in a negative light, that says something. And that was Pedro. He was great to everybody. And the stories about him that have come out since he passed away, about how he helped younger reporters, how he stood up for younger reporters when they were getting attacked in the clubhouse. Um, and I just felt, I feel terrible for Sandy, his wife, and um, his kids, uh, his three kids. I just, I just remember uh, we happened to be in Arizona when uh, he had his 40th birthday party. His wife threw him a 40th birthday party, and um, you know, they, they, uh, Sandy showed like uh, like a collage of photos on the TV screen, photos of, of him and and the family and all that. I just remember in the middle of this saying, "God, Pedro, I wish I had your life," and uh, you know, it's true, and th that was just shocking. Uh, it was just as shocking as like when Nick Fardo died suddenly when he was in spring training. And that also drove home to me one of the reasons why I felt I needed to retire early, which is that I, 
honestly, I did. I don't want to drop dead, you know, with a notepad in my hand and um, I want to enjoy life while I'm healthy. Well, if you did a poll a month ago of writers and broadcasters and anybody in the industry and asked them, who's your closest friend in the business? I mean, there would be on top of that list, it would have had to have been Pedro. Because oh, yeah. Every time you're in conversation with a man, you felt like his best buddy. Exactly. And then he'd go to the next guy and now that's his best buddy. And, and he wasn't a schmoozer. It, this was not an act. I mean, this was him. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and the smile, man, I mean, he, he put him at so at ease and he had great interviews because of that. And I yeah. said, man, I, I wish I could do that as well as he did, but it didn't matter. And the fact that he was bilingual and just uh, internationally, man, he was so well known and so well loved. And we're going to, we're going to miss that yeah, uh, genuine star, Pedro. man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Henry, Is that it? Oh, we're going to we keep putting you to work I we think, got dead air. throughout the season. All right. Well, you know, I'm here. I'm still part of Team Chronicle. Don't you don't have to worry about me uh, giving scoops to the athletic or to Crowley. We'll put you on a retainer. <laughs> there you go. Well, we could keep going and make this a two parter or a three parter. Uh, <laughs> uh, Henry, you have a life to live. And uh, again, thanks for everything and much appreciate uh, you stepping on with us. All right. We it was my you, pleasure, guys. We love you. I love you, too. Thanks for joining us on the Giant Splash. Susan Slesser and I will continue delivering podcasts through spring training as we approach the 2021 season.